good day and welcome to another episode of a lawyer and a policy analyst walk into a bar. I'm Jadrick Cummings, the lawyer. And I'm Delano D'Souza, the policy analyst. And today we have another important topic for you. We are going to discuss the sale of Scotiabank to Republic Financial Holdings Limited and uh, the effects that it has on the Caribbean and the banking economy in general. So we're going to touch on a number of different points, a number of different issues, and uh, we're just going to get into a number of different areas in relation to this topic. Uh, Delano, I think we'll start with the you know, Scotiabank and its history, its steps that it made in the Caribbean, and I guess why it's moving out or why it's selling its business to Republic financial holdings yeah definitely uh to our listeners thank you for the support in the last episode dealing with um uh, the medical marijuana industry and uh, your feedback is of course always welcome always and we welcome, appreciate yeah. you uh listening to us and sticking with us now last week uh throughout the region in particular the oecs scotia bank made waves when they announced that they were selling uh their operations in nine countries nine territories in in the region oh yeah and really and truly this caught a lot of us by surprise it was a big day in in the regional financial sector because i think sajiko also announced a potential sale to a canadian company as well so for those persons who monitor these type of things in the region it was what you call like a hot topic day right you know so everybody <laughs> been chatting about the things you know but we decided this week that we're going to cover scotia bank the potential divestment of, of, of scotia bank in the region uh obviously you know scotia bank has been with us for a long time they started operating in the in the caribbean i think in 1889 yeah. and yep. and when they announced last week that they were about to sell the operations not just the operations but also part of the insurance arm so their chief executive officer made the announcement and they said that more international divestments are in the pipeline so these countries include anguilla antigua dominica grenada guyana st kitts and nevis st lucia st martin and of course saint our vincent. very own yep. st vincent and the grenadines and the ceo of scotia bank referred to these territories as non-core markets and of course some people took, took exception to this Jadrick. yeah yeah and um the, the plan really is to sell these operations to republic financial holdings uh the purchase price according to the, the report is us 123 million dollars and a premium of 98 us over net asset value of the operations maintained in the eight countries of course leaving out anguilla yeah. so you know the bank also announced at the same time they, they was it was selling it insurance operations and look to partner with surgical financial group uh, to provide these products and services in these two countries for an, uh, and they didn't disclose this amount according to the, the media that we read so this is a bombshell jarek this, yeah. this ain't no this ain't no small thing everybody knows scotia bank scotia bank has been with us for quite some time i bank with kosher bank personally since so a personality for me as well you know <laughs> yeah. i still have a account at us with you don't yeah no lot of intentions uh, were a bit uh, to the news a bit hard when they read okay they're moving out well so or selling their their interest in some insane grandines they began to i guess wonder hey how am i going to be affected yeah. and what's going to happen yeah. and you know that's that's something that we're going to touch on today yeah and you know they, they essentially said that the transactions, although they're not material to Scotiabank, um, the head office in Canada, it would essentially raise their tier one capital ratio by, by 10 basis points. And so that's positive news for the shareholders of, of, of Scotiabank, uh, the head office in, in Canada. Uh, you know, of course, tier one capital ratio refers to the amount that they have to hold in, um, in, in funds 
to, to, to deal with their operations and their lending operations and so on. Okay, so I was just going to ask what that means. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's going to increase, uh, basically. So it's good news for Scotiabank in the sense of from their financial perspective. And let's be clear, right, Jarek? Scotiabank is not making losses in the region. Well, that's the next thing I was going to ask. Like, is it that they're making a loss? Why, why are they deciding to pull out? No. So Scotiabank earned $2.7 billion for the last quarter ending um, October. And this went up. This went up um, from the time last year. So really and truly, we have about $1.71 per diluted share. So for Scotiabank, you know, I think what it really is, to be, if we're being honest, right, for, for the full financial year, Scotiabank earned $8.72 billion, right? Wow, yeah. Uh, and so this this isn't this is this ain't small money. Yeah, not not at all. By no means. <laughs> this is this ain't a little money. You yeah. know, a lot of this was fueled by the international banking division, which saw net quarterly income rise more than twenty one percent to eight hundred and four million dollars. So you can see that the international arm is doing well. But and this is a big caveat. Scotia banks, they they in terms of their international arm, this profit is not necessarily from the markets that they're looking to sell, that they're looking to divest. Because I don't know if you're aware, Jared, but Scotia Bank has recently been on a buying spree, so mm. to speak. And this is according to the Financial Post. They purchased a majority stake in the Chilean bank BBVA in Chile, and that was in July. And they've also announced this year deals to buy Citibank's consumers and small and medium enterprises in Colombia oh. for an undisclosed fee. And they've also bought Banco de Dominicano. You had a rate, man. Banco de Dominicano, del Progreso. And this is in the Dominican yeah. Republic. Okay. Right? So we can see that they've been investing in in, 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 in their international arm, but only in select countries. So when you when you when you discuss the profits, when you talk about the profits that you mentioned before, it's not to say that's the profits. Like a large proportion of that um, came from these territories from which they're divesting their shares or no, selling their, their assets. No, but they're still making money. They're making a couple million dollars well in these in these um, territories that they're looking to divest from. Right. So it's really not that. You know, but I think largely the next question, following from your point, uh, segueing from your point is why is Scotia Bank refocusing its Caribbean strategy? Right. Now, they, in, the, in their press release, they've said regulation. Regulation is one of the main reasons why they're looking to divest their operations in these nine countries in particular. So they've said essentially that the increasing regulatory complexity and the need for continued investment in technology to support our regulatory requirements, end quote. This is what um, uh, Scotiabank's group lead for international banking has said. So basically they're saying they're, they've been charged so much money now based on the, the, re, the, the regulatory requirements uh, imposed by the, uh, so for example, the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank and so on. Right. Uh, it's, it's costing them a lot. They have to invest in a lot of technology. And so basically they're saying it's not worth it yeah. for the profit. I actually understand that's been a concern of some of the other Canadian banks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like our yeah. first... Um, uh, CIBC. Uh, CIBC. You know, CIBC well. recently did an IPO and the New York Stock Exchange trying to get out of the region as right. well. Yeah. So it's something new. But in relation to that, though, what I would say, uh, having looked at and having studied um, the, the regulation of banks in the region, Jarek, I would say that while you could kind of see where they're coming from, mm-hmm. the history in the region, if we look at the bank failures in Antigua, if we look at the bank failures in Anguilla recently over the last maybe five years or so on, and the impact that it has had on the region to our people and ultimately also on the government because the government a lot of times are left footing the bill for these um this for these banking failures. Right. And one of the challenges of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, particularly with the Anguilla um banking crisis recently. Mm-hmm. And 
So there is a, you know, there, there, there are many risks, especially in our small economies. So the onus is on our regulators, our central banks, to make sure that these banks are adhering to the strictest policies possible in terms of their capital adequacy ratios, etc. To make sure that at the end of the day, if things go awry in 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 um in the banking sector, that we are able to continue and our economies don't collapse. Right. So you know, an enhanced regulatory environment is prudent and perhaps necessary. And then the next thing they mentioned, and this is interesting because it kind of ruffled the feathers of a lot of our regional leaders. They said that the size of the market or population. So for example, they said in Jamaica, the population is two point, around 2.8 million people. And, and it's about, um, in the Dominican Republic, it's about 11 million. So basically what they were saying is that even if we divest our operations in these nine countries, we still have essentially 90% of the Caribbean population still under, still we're still yeah, operating right. 90%. So we're trying to the other 10% don't matter. Yeah. Yeah, when you have our population of how much? 109,000? <laughs> yeah, and you add it something so similar and so forth. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then fellow chairman said 10% no matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? You know, and that, that is according to the CEO, Brian Porter. Mm-hmm. And that, that has really, like I said, ruffled the feathers of a lot of yeah. our Caribbean people because we kind of feel like, uh-uh. So chairman said we don't matter, brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Only I mean, 90% there. And also, you will notice that they've kind of grouped Latin America and the Caribbean together. Right, yeah. Right, so that that's another interesting thing as well. So I mean, these comments have been labelled as disrespectful, mm-hmm. uh, for example, by our own minister, our minister of finance, Camilla Gonzalez, as well as PM uh, Gaston Brong of Antigua and Barbuda. Oh well, you know he's he's had a few with this. Yeah, yeah, we, we can get to that. Because basically, PM Gaston Brong, I saw a tweet on Twitter, Jarek, and it basically paraphrased Gaston Brong and said, "Yo." Sell them if you're bad. <laughs> that, that, if, that's pretty much what you say. If your name, man, yeah. sell it. <laughs> but we can get to that. But it, it was interesting times last week when the news when the news came out, right? And then just moving into the terror and the profits, they were saying essentially it was based off of lower than expected realized earnings for the year. Realized, I said lower than expected. Than expected. I, didn't, I didn't say losses. Yeah. Lower than expected. Just lower than expected profits. And so Scotiabank seems to think it's not worth it. But when you hear that, or when you hear these these three factors that Delano that you just that you just mentioned, I think the next thing is then why is Republic Financial Holdings interested in these assets that that Scotiabank is trying to get rid of? Why is it that they want to buy them? Why are they trying to come into these territories? But that's a big point, huh? and as a, and that brings us to the next segment of the podcast. Basically, <laughs> we're talking about. Who is Republic Bank Holdings, mm. Republic Financial Holdings, and where are they interested in? Yeah, I think that's something everybody wants to know, well, especially in St. Vincent, where yeah. they currently don't have, have, a, base, a, Republic don't have a Republic Bank, right? So I think there's one in Grenada mm-hmm. and so forth, mm-hmm. but Vincentians would want to know, yeah. you know, who is Republic Bank, what are they about, where are they coming here? So essentially, Republic is a financial holding company that was completed or formed in December 2000. 15. Oh, wow. So, that, that's new. it's not like it's new, but the financial holding company, because mm. they had operations before, but they realized oh, that right, the international okay. mm. best practice mm. is to have a financial holding company that owns all the different branches right. and the different operations. And that was when t- in 2015? Yes, that one was in 2015. Right. So, they created that to basically right, right, um, right. kind of bring some structure to their proposed expansion. Okay, so, so right? that holding company would pretty much cover all the other Yeah, they would own everything that. Things, so so, so currently, yeah, for sure. So currently, Najarek, you'd be surprised. 
Republic Bank actually has an operation in Ghana, in Africa, for example. I noticed that, and I was, I was very shocked when I saw that. I yeah. like, <laughs> so, they, them fellas have an operation yeah, in... A wide reach there. Yeah, they have an operation in Republic Bank, Guyana. Republic Bank, Barbados, as we know, they bought out the Barbados National Bank earlier in, the, um, in this decade. Um, they also have a Republic Bank, Suriname. They have a Republic Bank Ghana, as you mentioned before. They also have securities, a securities limited and other subsidiaries mm-hmm. operating in places like St. Lucia. Mm-hmm. So they also have a Republic Insurance Company operated in the Cayman Islands, all right? Of which they own 100% shares. In Grenada, they have a Grenada Republic Grenada Bank, Grenada. which they own yeah. 75%, basically 75% of the shares. Uh, in Guyana, they own, I think, 51% of the shares. You know, and interestingly as well, particularly mm-hmm. for St. Vincent and the Grenadines, they also own basically almost 20 percent 19.3 percent of eastern caribbean financial holdings ecf which formerly owned majority shares mm-hmm. in the bank, bank of st vincent and the grenadines and um you know they no longer because obviously the government of st vincent bought back um majority, majority shareholding in um bosvg but they still maintain a, sh- a, 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 a you know 20 percent is a lot of shares yeah. in ecf yeah. holdings so Republic Bank is nothing, it's not yeah. a new so entity. See, their presence is, is around the region still. Yeah, them yeah. fellas, they're all over. They, yeah. they are, they're all over. And interesting, like I mentioned before, they already own a majority ownership of operations in Grenada and Guyana. So these are two of the countries that they're looking to take over Scotiabank's operation. Ah, right, right. So you could only imagine that they're going to, there's going to be essentially a merger and expansion of the branch of their operations in those countries right. to include Scotiabank should the, should the arm purchase go forward. And they also own um, operations in St. Lucia, like I mentioned before. But we must also note that they currently hold no majority um, operations in St. Vincent, St. Kitts, Anguilla, Dominica, or St. Martin. So essentially, this would be, represent an expansion for them into these markets, which they don't have. Right. And I don't know if you remember, Jerry, but earlier when St. Vincent, when the Bank of St. Vincent Grenadines was, was being sold, there were rumors that um, the Republic Bank had made uh, an offer yeah, yeah. to buy the Bank yeah. of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Companies, yeah. And um, in the end, it didn't, it didn't materialize because the government decided to, to buy back majority ownership there. But I say that to say that obviously Republic Bank has made overtures in terms of getting into the market of St. Vincent and the Grenadines before. Right. So that's, an, that's another dynamic of the picture here. The Republic Bank essentially has an, a total asset base according to their, um, their financials of, of basically ten billion dollars ten point three billion dollars of as of mm. 2017 oh, wow. so that ain't no small money that's a lot and their profit after tax was um 197 million us in 2017 so again they're making money as well right yeah right and so the next question then becomes and it's important for us in the region who owns republic bank and this has been a talking point since the deal was um announced so the ten largest shareholders, Jadrick, mm-hmm. um, they include places like Clico, the National Insurance Board of Trinidad, and so on. Uh, First Citizens Trust, Guardian Life Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago Unit Trust Corporation. Mm-hmm. But what this really translate to, so, and this uh, is the big ticket item here, uh, what this really translate to, mm-hmm. right, is that the government of <coughs> Trinidad and Tobago essentially mm-hmm. owns about fifty-three percent of the operation of Republic Bank, which means they own the majority of the operations of Re- Republic Financial Holdings. So that's interesting in and of itself, because it's always it's always an issue when we feel like the, you know the government involved in these kind of mergers and acquisitions and so on. Is we always what is the motive? Right. Yeah. Well, that that was going to be my next question. 
what can we expect from that? Like, yes, you can say, okay, the government of Trinidad and Tobago has a majority shareholding, but what, what does that mean? What, what, why should we care about that? Why should we study that? Well, why should we study that? People are concerned, and I note um, regional economist Mala Dukaran, she mentioned uh, in a recent tweet that she was concerned uh, about the impact or the potential impact of uh, this sale in terms of the operations after the sale on our foreign reserves in the OECS. As you know, the OECS has a strong backing for our um, currency. And so she was concerned that this sale might be a way to channel or funnel US currency to Trinidad where there are significant currency restrictions in place. You see like how in Vinci we could go down, we could go in the bank and once we essentially have the EC currency, we could go in and say this somehow, 5,000 US, US look my EC dollar for the conversion. In places like Trinidad, it's not that simple right. because there are daily restrictions on how much you can buy and so on, similar to Barbados and so. Mm. So, you know, people are raising concerns about US currency making its way to the shores of Trinidad and Tobago to kind of expand what they're doing there and so forth. So that's a concern that's been raised by economists and other people in the Caribbean right now. Right, right. But going back to the motivation for the purchase, obviously there's opportunity to reach more class in the Eastern Caribbean and Guyana. They have markets that they can get into, like we mentioned St. Martin and so before, that obviously increases their earning potential and their ability to raise at least a similar profits as what Scotiabank has been doing in these operations. So that's something there for them, right? And I should also note, Jared, that the ECCB has sort of responded to the concerns about the foreign exchange. Uh, and they basically said that some people are speculating that it could lead to the depletion of foreign reserves and the backing of the EC dollar. And they basically said that such speculation is unfounded and it's unhelpful at this particular point in time. And that the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank will continue to maintain high levels of foreign reserves as it has done for the past 35 years. Saying this, it doesn't mean that people are necessarily going to feel so much comforted, you know, by yeah. the EC dollar is one of the strongest currencies in the region, in my opinion, and, and, and the figures bear that out. You know, we are well Wait, backed. But can't they say anything else though? I mean, because to say anything else would mean that they, there's, I guess, poor management in how they handle the, the mm -hmm. foreign reserves and so forth. Can't they say anything else? Can't they say, hey, you know, we're worried about this and <laughs> in fact, <laughs> this acquisition might be, might be troublesome to us? I, 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 I was speaking to a colleague over the weekend and he himself said, he said, but, but what else can the ECCB say? They uh, have to say this. They have that's, to say this. But I mean, having spent some time yeah. there, I really feel like mm. our backing and, and the way that we manage our currency mm. is, 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 is exemplary. You know, I, they will try their best, obviously, to maintain mm. our peg and to maintain our strong foreign reserve backing uh, for our currency. So, having spoken a little bit about the, um, the reaction of the ECCB in relation to the, the issue of foreign reserves, um, the ETCB this this week came out and said basically they've received an application. Right. They've received an application from Republic Bank on Tuesday the 27th of November. And that they've said that pursuant to the Banking Act, uh, that ECCB has commenced its review of the application. And it has had initial discussions with, this, with the Central Bank of Trinidad and Tobago and the Bank of Guyana, which obviously is the Central Bank for Guyana. And the ECCB also already regulates Republic Bank as it has an operation in mm -hmm. Grenada, right, which you Grenada, mentioned before. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and it also has um, some, some interest in, a, in, a, in an entity in St. Lucia. Right. So they're saying that they're no stranger to the operations of Republic Bank. Right. Right. But what do you make of that? Well, um, I, as Delano said, they've, they've received the application under the Banking Act. 
and it's important just to note that the Banking Act, it's a pretty much it's a model legislation that the countries, the territories uh, under the ECCBR, the ECCU territories, it's a model legislation that they all have in place, that we all have in place. So this application that the that Delana spoke about, that they've received, it's well in our legislation anyway, in St. Vincent's legislation, it's it comes under section one seventy five of our Banking Act. And like Delano said, they've already received the application, they've already looked into it, or they are looking looking into it, and they already have experience in the affairs of Republic Bank in that it has operations in Grenada and some interest in St. Lucia. And that's one of the requirements under that section, in that it has to consider the impact that the acquisition or the merger would have on the public and the, on the economy. And I think it's something that, because of these requirements, the ECCB are ensuring that everything is in place before the acquisition before they can actually regulate the acquisition or approve the application so to speak so that's taking place so i know that some ministers and so forth are saying that they're not going to sanction or approve the vesting order i think and as we said gaston brown was making some some you know some hurrah about it and we said we're going to get back to that but that's one of the things he was saying hey this application to the eccb you know we i haven't seen it i haven't heard anything about it the first time i had any wind of it was through the media and i'm pretty much gonna fight this application and the vesting order that the government has to issue but under 175 i think the bank has these little stipulations that they have to look into and the eccb sorry and eccb is going to make sure that all these things are looked at and proper due diligence is done before the um, application is uh, considered favorably mm. uh, well Presently, the ETCB in their release also said that currently 55% are owned by CIBC, FCIB, Scotiabank, RBC, and Republic Financial Holdings currently in the ECCU. Right. And 45% of the banking assets are owned by indigenous banks or national banks. Right. So the ECCB is saying that even with the proposed acquisition, if approved, that it will not fundamentally shift or change the ownership distribution in that. The same 55% would still be owned by CIBC, FCIB, RBC, and Republic Financial Holdings. So they would still own 55% and 45% would remain in the hands of indigenous banks. So it's not necessarily shifting uh, the, the ownership of the assets. Right? So, so that's basically what the ECCB press release said. They're going to look at it, they're going to do their report and they're going to submit it to the, I think, to the, to, the, to the different countries. Now, moving on to Antigua and Barbuda, which has two Scotiabank branches, according to the website. PM Gaston Brown has written to the country manager and the governor of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank separately to communicate his position with, with respect to the, the potential divestment. And he's indicated that he that he that his government mm. felt disrespected, the lack of, of consultation, right. and that they would not be issuing a vesting order. And obviously, we, you discussed the fact that the vesting order is required by law. And that his government would prefer of, if local owners were, were to have the right of first refusal to purchase uh, the assets of Scotiabank and Tiga. Yeah. Now, this is important because I think, if I'm not mistaken, Scotiabank could be the biggest bank in Antigua. In Antigua. Oh, okay. So it has systemic importance as well. Yeah. So obviously, there are some concerns they particular to Antigua. I could be wrong, but I would have to double check that. Uh, in Grenada, which they have two branches, Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Dr. Keith Mitchell, basically says he's happy to see the Caribbean financial institutions doing more to yeah, take Yeah, that's all that. He pretty much was happy that... that um, 
Republic yeah. was um was taking over, yeah. But he also according to the news media, he also was informed of the sale before and he knew of it beforehand, according oh, to so what might, regional media is saying. That might be the difference there. And so mm-hmm. I think the implication there is that he's likely to issue a vesting order after the ECCB investigation and report. Uh, provided that there are obviously no significant issues. Right. Yeah. And in the case of St. Vincent, and they always do in St. Vincent, we only have one branch in St. <laughs> St. Vincent. Was it three ATM? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah well, you know. No, maybe five. Yeah, we maybe have five. one branch in St. Vincent. And our finance minister, Camilla Gonzalez, has said uh, about the comments of the, the CEO and so on, that they, he it, it was a bit disrespectful, a bit tone deaf, mm-hmm. particularly about the um, 90%. And that there was a lack of consultation and it could be considered disrespectful like i mentioned to the countries involved however like he mentioned he referred to the that you went through just now jadrick he was basically saying that you know the the eccb has to do their due diligence they have to do this report that is mandated by the banking act right and so he's not going to go as far as to say he's not going to issue yeah, the best in order but he's still yeah he's still um voiced his concern yeah the, the lack of communication that that occurred yeah and he's basically saying that um he wants to see the um the outcome of the of the report of the ecb report to see things of how it affects the vincentian economy in terms of uh, employment in terms of uh you know the, the impact on the consumers the customers and so <coughs> that's important there so before he can say anything concrete and mm-hmm. he wants to speak on that mm-hmm. now moving on to the oecs jarek guyana four branches and the ministry of finance has expressed their concern about the announcement and they've warned that such an acquisition will have to comply with the financial institutions act the fia of guyana and it has to have the blessings of the bank of guyana which is the central bank of guyana now the fia has clear stipulations regarding acquisition and control of um, banking assets in guyana and they they have basically raised i think maybe two or three concerns in particular now one is that republic bank already operates in guyana mm-hmm. and that they, they currently hold around 35 percent of the banking system's assets and about 36.8 of the deposits right and were it to acquire scotia bank this will essentially move their their percentage up to 51 percent of both assets and deposits so basically you have one player now in Guyana owning fifty one percent of fifty one percent of the um the assets and deposit. So obviously there are concerns about an over concentration of banking services and you know sort of the too big to fail arguments that we saw with um with um AIG and other companies in the US during right. the financial crisis. And so they've raised that. The second one is that they've raised the effect of competition obviously if one player commands so much mm-hmm. of the market share they have a, a perhaps a, a greater influence on pricing and, 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 and so, yeah, yeah and the banking and the banking products so that's another issue and then they've also mentioned a critical one as well perhaps has implications for the corresponding banking relationships because as we know we've been having challenges with that mm-hmm. and scotia bank is an international bank right in the sense that it's highly respected in, in canada it's highly respected around the world and so they probably perhaps are put under less scrutiny in some respects in terms of their corresponding banking relations than let's say a republic bank may if they take over the operations of scotia bank so that's one of the concerns that they've raised as well so it's a mouthful yeah it is yeah and um i think i started off by saying hey vincentians and well, persons in the Caribbean, persons in those territories that are affected, they want to know 
how it's affecting me, you know? And I think that's one of the concerns that a lot of persons have. If my account is going to be affected, you know, what's going to happen with my mortgage, etc., etc. And I think that's one of the important things that we have to consider when we look at under the Banking Act because that's the importance of the vesting order mm -hmm. because that allows for operations to essentially continue seamlessly in that your accounts would just um, continue to exist as they are Securities would exist, continue to exist as they are. Any contracts you entered into a Scotia Bank would um, still be valid, still be intact. And that's the importance of the whole vesting order and um, to allow that seamless transition to take mm -hmm. place. So really once that's had, then you have nothing to worry about as a customer. So it's just, um, but as Delana said, once the ECCB, uh, having received the application, once the ECCB does its report and looks at all these circumstances and requirements, then more than likely the respective territories would issue its vesting order and operations would continue as as they were. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's an important point. And the whole vesting order thing and the seamless transition because yeah. that's what matters. We don't have a, bank, a run in the bank. We don't have any of those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, our financial system is very responsive to yeah. issues like yeah. this and we don't want to have that. Uh, but in terms of other general concerns, and you alluded to some, within the region is the loss of jobs for example some they, they, some people worry about the potential downsizing or the consolidation of operations so for example there's a republic bank in grenada are they going to kind of subsume um, the operations of um scotia bank if they're successful and kind of mm -hmm. just make it one operation so they're gonna consolidate and, and send home persons send through attrition right. or mm -hmm. you know retrenchment etc that is a major concern so a lot of the staff uh, around the region of scotia bank were very concerned about that so that's, that's big because mm -hmm. that has a lot of implications for our employment rates, unemployment yeah. rates within the region, uh, mm -hmm. for families in general and their survival. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's, there's the potential for reduced competition in the region. So there's the possibility that less product options and higher rates, etc. If one, like Frank, we mentioned the case of Guyana, where one bank could be dominating right. uh, the, the banking sector, and that's a concern because competition, we believe, you know, according to the capitalist model, is good. Yeah. You know, it yeah. it is good, particularly in, in 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 the banking sector in terms of access to credit. And another question uh, that that looms large is reduced access. Could we be seeing less branches? You know, we have four branches in, in Guyana, two in Antigua. Could them fellas say, well, we, we only want one of them branches? Yeah, like, like we you cut know, down, yeah. Could we yeah. cut down the number of ATMs, etc.? These are important, you know, these are important things that the people are looking at. Um, so, moving on now to kind of something, because we, we can't just be doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah. In the Caribbean, sure. we do that a lot, eh? Yeah. We like the little doom and gloom of God yeah. is happening to exactly. we. Exactly, all the warriors, so all the, yeah. everybody in the street worrying what's going to happen, yeah, like, like we were saying. But, but there, there are positive effects as well. I mean, yeah. there are some benefits that could happen from the sale, yeah. you know. Um, I, I, I think, well, we kind of mentioned uh, one before. Well, we touched on employment. We, we mentioned loss of jobs. Mm -hmm. But conversely, there could be employment. You know, they could invest in uh, job creation and expanding the workforce. Mm -hmm. And even uh, new vendors. I mean, I'm a lawyer myself. I mean, they might say we need some new lawyers, you know. But that, I endorse that, that message. <laughs> <laughs> you know. They might uh, you know look look for different vendors, suppliers, you know, to um bolster their operations and create um you know add to the the, the jobs that they currently have. Yeah. So that that's one thing. Yeah, and then of course you mentioned investment. Republic could well invest and add to the in the existing infrastructure 
And we know that banks like Scotiabank, for example, and CIBC have been trying to cut their costs in the region. So mm. they, and some, some people's opinion, they've been kind of holding back on some of the investments right, that they yeah. may have made. So now Republic may well come in and decide, you know what, Scotiabank wasn't doing mm. X, Y, let's bring let's this that, benefit, yeah. let's bring this benefit mm. uh, to the company. And I guess to get their name out there as well, to instill yeah. some confidence so that yeah. people can say, hey, Republic Bank is mm. a bank to trust, is a bank that we can do business with. They might say, hey, let me invest, let me, you know, add more ATMs, let yeah. me, you know, expand branches, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And if we look at Barbados, I think I mentioned before that they took over Barbados National Bank, BNB, some years ago. And just before I left Barbados in June, they were on the cusp of opening uh, a state-of-the-art uh, banking facility in Warrens. Oh, right, and, right. and it was a big multi-story building there. So they've right. been investing in, mm-hmm. in Barbados. They've been, you know... So, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, we're not going to be seeing that. We have to kind of wait and see. Yeah. So, it's there. They could also be offering new services. They may introduce, thing, introduce things that, uh, that we don't currently have in, that we may not necessarily have. Like, mm-hmm. And then, there may be, well, increased access to credit because we know a lot of these foreign banks, a lot of these foreign-owned banks have been kind of restricting their loan portfolio. Um, you know, for some of these institutions, it's difficult to get loans compared right. to our domestic institutions. So we might well see a, a kind of a loosening of the credit range, so to speak. And we mm. might well increase our access to credit in the region, particularly in the realm of, for example, small businesses and so on, who are not, it's notoriously difficult to get access to credit. So you never know, is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. So a, a lot can happen there. Yeah, it shouldn't be all doom and gloom, you see. I mean, you know, there could be the benefits. Yes, there we can see some potential um concerns and and so forth some some downsides maybe but i think the benefits are there and i mean like i think a big one is the fact that they would want to instill some confidence in these new territories and show what they can do and i think they're gonna invest but that, that's just my personal feeling obviously i'm i'm not a banking man or an economist by any means but i personally think it'd be a good move for them to to invest and show that they are a bank worth banking with yeah. and of course, guys, we've, as usual, we try to give you all the sides, all the angles of this thing. We try to be comprehensive. And that kind of brings us to the end of this discussion in relation to the potential divestment of Scotiabank in the region. And of course, you know, we have to move into our next segment now, which mm-hmm. is the we can toast to that. You know, uh, let me drink to that. We can that. drink to this. We can yeah. drink to that. We have a bottle of Your bartender! Bring the bottle. Yo, bring. Because we, we're drinking out of cups today, audience. I'm having a I'm having a JW and coconut water, so I don't necessarily have my my, my usual paraphernalia. Yeah, we, we can't cling to that this week. You know, but, but we're gonna raise a glass nonetheless. Yeah, we're gonna raise a glass. Now. Who you who are you drinking to this week, Jarek? Oh man, Dilly, I I think what I heard this week, um, it, it's an area that I'm a bit passionate about. It's I'm actually intending to further my studies into it um to in the legal landscape of it but it's the geothermal industry and renewable energy and i read earlier in the week that the geothermal companies here that they've actually signed a contract to to construct um for four drilling wells to drill four wells bang 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 and you know that (laughs) would um that would um that would assist in the um the geothermal plant that's currently being constructed in simmons and grandines and as you know, once that's constructed, it's p- supposed to be responsible for our entire base load power 
in the in St. Vincent and the Grandines, and that's something that's important. Anytime I hear these moves being made, anytime I hear a new contract being signed or an, a new MOU or something in this sector, I am excited, I'm happy about it, and I have to raise my, my glass to that because it's it's a good move in a right direction and the entire region is going behind this whole renewable energy wave and I'm glad to see that St. Vincent's making strides in this area. Bang bang, we could drink to that. We could drink to that. And for me this week, I, I really want to raise my glass again to, to Gary Griffith. Gary I don't know Griffith. if you know, he might know. he made a million dollar bust of cocaine to the insurance. I saw that, I saw that. Yeah. But I can't do it again. I can't get two weeks in a row. <laughs> but this week, on the subject of regional integration and the push for CARICOM single market and economy, we have currently ongoing in Trinidad and Tobago a meeting of the heads of government, particularly dealing with um, the CSME and its operation and, and, and they want to make strides towards making a lot of the, the, the things that we want to accomplish a reality. Mm. And so I just want to raise my glass to not just the leaders of the region that are meeting in Trinidad and Tobago, but also the persons who work in the background, the technocrats, the trade experts and so on, who work in, within the CARICOM secretariat and so on, who are working to try to bring CSME closer to being a reality and you know i'm for it you know i'm a caribbean man i've lived and worked in, in different countries and i love my caribbean people Yui has put that in me and anytime i see strides being made in the name of regionalism in the name of coming together i could always drink to that could always drink to that yeah again everyone that brings us to the end of our fourth episode our fourth consecutive week join us again next week as we come back a lawyer, a policy analyst, we're in this bar. Thank you for listening.